0: Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Jory tonight, and our topic is no strangers. Before I invite you to pray, let me set this up just a little bit. Doesn't it seem as though the human race It's understandable to some extent that in the human tribe, uh, people come in families and tribes and so on, and there's a certain degree even little, little children start to manifest this, don't they, uh, this stranger anxiety, this sense of, oh, no, you're foreign. I, I don't know you. You're, you're different than I am. You're not, you're not somebody I know. And so people often have trouble with strangers uh, in a very serious way right now. We have a lot of this in the news where there are refugees, you know, boatloads of refugees going from one country to another, and the But the countries, and I know it's a loaded, huge issue, but like, can you take all those people in or not? Immigration and so on, you know, it's, it's a big deal in the human race. And that's a very serious end of it. On a sort of lighter end, it's been uh, just kind of amusing me a little bit how awful we are as a human race, where we tend to take an entire category of people and then we'll think of a one-syllable name for them or something and just, <laughs> summarize them all in this dismissive syllable. Oh, that's just a you know, or whatever. And Who knows, who could even count the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of terms of abuse that we've uh, creatively come up with for each other, expressing the fact that you're, you're different than I am. You know, you're a different sort of person than I am. And Scripture, interestingly, has kind of two different messages. It's sort of hard to parse because you have messages that kind of reinforce this stranger anxiety in, in some ways, you know, some suggestion that the stranger is, is bad or whatever. But then you also have some very fair, very balanced statements about how we're all strangers and the Lord loves us all and that sort of thing. So uh, how should we feel about other people? What should we do with this stranger thing? And to what extent are we strangers? ourselves and strangers to the Lord. That's what we're going to be exploring tonight. So will you join me for an opening prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bowing the heavens and coming down into our world. Thank you for giving us your word. You are the word made flesh. We pray, Lord, for your presence among us tonight and open up the pages of your word to us. Thank you and amen. Thank you, you, good friends. Greetings to those of you online and getting the audio tape and various different forms. Uh, Let's jump right in tonight. Let's just jump right in, shall we? Where I'd like to start is uh, actually in the New Testament, after the four Gospels, you get the Acts. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. Because there's an interesting story there. See, Peter uh, grew up in Judaism, the Apostle Peter. And he was exposed all his life to these laws. And there were laws about what made you clean and what made you unclean. And there were also traditions about this. Uh, I'm told that the Talmud teaches um, that you are not, uh, you're allowed to do business with a Gentile, you know, with a non-Jew. You're allowed even to to bathe with them, whatever that means exactly. Uh, But you're considered ceremonially unclean if you do. And you have to go through a process of being cleansed. Uh, You are under no circumstances to be invited into their houses. You're not to eat with them. If they're not tithing, you should not be having that kind of interaction with them. You should, you should not eat with them. Um, so there's something, you know, if you get ceremonial unclean, there, there's a way that you can back out of it and so on. But a lot of the laws were about what makes you clean and what makes you unclean and the idea that some people are clean and some people are unclean and you have to be careful around them. In the Nazarite laws in the Old Testament, there were laws that you couldn't, touch a dead body even if it was a close relative of yours or you'd be defiled and and so on. Uh, So there were things that made you unclean. And Peter had been carefully following these laws about clean and unclean. Uh, Let's pick up at verse 9 here in Acts chapter 10 because this is sort of a watershed moment. This is after Jesus' resurrection and uh, here's what happens to Peter.
1: The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray, about the sixth hour. Uh,
0: up on the housetop, they would have these flat housetops where it might be uh, you know, a little cooler than inside the sort of hot box of the house. And he goes up there about the sixth
1: hour to pray. All right. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, mm. And saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. Oh. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air.
0: Okay, and you know that the animal there were some very strict laws in the Old Testament about which animals were clean. You know, whether you had a single hoof or a cloven hoof, whether you chewed the cud or not, certain types of fish were okay, certain were not, and and so on. Uh, So what happens next?
1: And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat.
0: Now these are wild beasts. These are creeping things. You know, you were never supposed to eat creeping things. Creeping things were the worst. You don't eat creeping things. And so he's told to rise and kill and eat. He's hungry. He's praying up there, been praying, and he he fell into this kind of visionary trance. And uh, he's hungry, and he's told to kill and eat. And what is Peter saying?
1: But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean.
0: Wow. Now, the Lord is telling him in a vision, eat this. And he says, I won't, because I've never eaten anything unclean in my life. And you can, you can imagine, you know, when you've been avoiding something all your life, when suddenly someone says, oh, guess what? We're taking the net down. You know, uh, now, now anything goes. Well, it's, well no, I, you know, it would be a violation. You know, it sort of violated his conscience. Go on. Verse and, 15.
1: And a voice spoke to him again the second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. That
0: is really crucial to what we're talking about tonight. It strikes me. What God has cleansed, don't call common so he's viewing certain things in these Talmudic ru- rules, it was even the case that certainly certain very scrupulous Jews with a very scrupulous observance were not allowed to eat with commoner Jews. you know, even though they were all in Judaism, there was sort of hierarchy within it of who you could eat with and who you couldn't. Uh, but somehow the vision is saying what God has cleansed, don't call that common like isn't it possible that I cleanse these animals in some way and I'm telling you you can go ahead and eat what does this mean go on
1: this was done three times that's
0: always the sign that it's really from God go on
1: (laughs) and the object was taken up into heaven again Hmm. now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. Uh-huh. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there.
0: So they've heard of him, but they would never met him. So they were asking, is this where, he, where he's staying?
1: While Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Oh. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them.
0: Well, that's nice and clear. I wish that always worked that way for us. Uh, sometimes it does, but often it doesn't. Where the Spirit just tells you, you know, don't, I sent these people, these three people who are coming to you, I sent them. So you go interact. Now, Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it, but one of the rules was that even if you interacted with somebody or you touched any object they owned, if they were a Gentile, you'd be ceremonial unclean. You 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 weren't supposed to do that. Uh, And if you did it, you'd have to go through a process to get clean again. Go on.
1: Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you.
0: Well, Now wait a minute. The centurions weren't Jewish. They were Romans. They were Gentiles. And yet he's asked for him to come there. Isn't there something in the crucifixion where they won't go in the... Isn't it, don't they? They won't go into the praetorium because it's the Sabbath. You know, there were, there were rules about where you could go and, and what you could do. And yet here's this Cornelius, this Roman centurion, who's and and he's Peter's being told that a holy angel from God told him, you know, what to do. But it's yikes! I don't. I, what, what do I do in this situation? Because there's everything I've been told since my childhood, and then there's what I think God is telling me now. Go on.
1: Then he invited them in and lodged them. Mm. On the next day Peter went away with them, and mm. some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered C- Caesarea? Caesarea. Caesarea? I think, yeah. Sorry, never seen that. Yes. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in his relatives
0: and close friends were probably not Jewish either. Okay, go on.
1: As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man.
0: Okay, so that's interesting that it says you, you and I are the, are, are the same. But Peter must have touched him to, to lift him up. Go on.
1: But Peter lifted Oh, sorry. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together.
0: And listen to what Peter says.
1: Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation.
0: Yes, it's unlawful for a Jewish person to keep company with somebody from another nation. You're not allowed to go with them. You're not supposed to eat with them or keep company with them or whatever. But...
1: But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay,
0: okay. Good night, everyone. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Look at that. God showed me that I shouldn't call anyone, I should not call anyone common or unclean. And what did God say to him in the vision? He said, what God has cleansed, do not call that common. Now, the vision that he saw was of animals, but so somehow he had to kind of extrapolate this to the idea of humans and who you were, but that issue of cleanness was the same between the two. And he concludes that, you know, what. so it must have been a bit of a wild uh, couple of days for him to just go off and live with Romans and eat with them and nobody, you know, nobody's Jewish, they're not doing the dietary thing or, or whatever, and, and he's sort of off base And yet, uh, he got that clear message from the Lord. The Lord said, I've sent these people for you. They want to talk to you. This is very crucial for starting Christianity and getting the whole thing going. How are you going to do it without this step? Uh, But Peter has to go outside his comfort zone, and he realizes that God has shown him that he should not call anyone, any human being. So, uh, in effect, what God said to him is, there are no strangers there are no Gentiles there's no you know there are no there are no strangers okay with that in mind let's go rifle through some scriptures as we sometimes do good friends um, let's go all the way in the left uh, I think I want to start where do I want to start I think in Exodus no maybe back in Genesis twenty-four. Let's go back to Genesis twenty-four, the first book of the Bible, and um, look at verses three and four. This is Abram, Abraham, and he's getting very old, and Isaac has not his son has not married yet. And look at verses three and four.
1: And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. That you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country and to my family and take a wife for my son Isaac.
0: You see, don't don't marry the strangers, don't marry the Canaanites. You know, marry a good good Jewish girl from you know, uh, from back home, kind of thing. Uh, in uh, let's see. Uh, look at Genesis 42. A few weeks ago, we did a whole series on Joseph. And uh, you remember, if you heard that, that Joseph was in disguise as an Egyptian. Look at verse 7 in, in Genesis 42. This was interesting to me.
1: Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Mm,
0: So very interesting that he acted like a stranger to them. When we're studying strangers, I was just interested because sometimes I think, as we'll see in other passages, the Lord appears like a stranger to us. And here's Joseph. He knows them very well, but he's acting like a stranger for the purpose of this exchange. Um, Look at chapter 43 just right there. Um, Look at verse 32, they have a meal with the Egyptians, and the Hebrews, and Joseph, but they all eat separately, why do they do that?
1: So they set him a place by himself, and they and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Yes,
0: the Egyptians considered it an abomination. So that's interesting. It's not just the Jews who had these kind of rules. The Egyptians had these rules about the Jew. You know, don't eat with them. So they had to all eat separately. And we'll just do it quickly, but in chapter 46, verse 34, at the end, at the very end of that, uh, there's a statement that every shepherd... The Egyptians were not shepherds, and, and the Hebrews were shepherds. And they say every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Again, that kind of thing. of like, oh, that's foreign. You're, you're different than we are. Have a look at Exodus chapter 12. So go immediately to the right, and there you get to Exodus. Uh, let's have a look at 12 verses 37 and 38. This is when the children of Israel left the land of Egypt years later.
1: Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides children. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock.
0: Huh. So the children of Israel who came out of the land of Egypt were not all Israelites. You know, I, I often think of them as all Israelites. But there was a mixed multitude. You know, there was a mixture of people there were people who left Egypt with them on that journey to the Holy Land who weren't Jewish. Mixed, mixed multitude. And at certain points, that, that mixed multitude causes some trouble, as I think we may see here. Um, look at verses 43 to 48 in that same chapter about the Passover.
1: And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it.
0: Yes, no foreigner, in the Old King James, no stranger foreigners were not to eat the Passover. Now, the Passover was a meal celebrating their redemption. But go on. The plot thickens a little bit here.
1: But every man's servant who, has, who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it.
0: Mm. So you have to go through circumcision first, which was that sign of the covenant. And then you were, it didn't matter whether you were born Jewish or not. You just had to go through the circumcision. Then you could eat the Passover. Go on.
1: A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. Oh. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry out carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All mm. all the on. congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it and he shall be as a native of the land.
0: Oh, he'll be as a native? Wow, there's a way to be nativized. Like, you you know, even if you weren't born there, you can turn into a native, in effect, by going through the circumcision. Uh, but no one who's uncircumcised shall eat the Passover. This is a depiction, of circumcision is a depiction in the correspondences, the language of correspondences, of repentance. And it's about the repentance that's needed before You can eat that meal. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but I'll just read you something real quick from Revelation chapter 3 that it says in verse 19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into them, sup with them and they with me. Uh, Repentance is associated with opening the door, and if you go through repentance, then you're allowed to have the meal. I think it's the same thing. You know, those who will go through repentance can have the Passover meal. It doesn't matter where you were born or what your background is, what your family is, what tribe you came from or whatever. It's open to everybody, but there's something you have to do to to join the club kind of thing. So it's interesting, isn't it? It's sort of on the cusp of is is this good for strangers or not good for strangers? Look at Exodus chapter 22. And right in Exodus 20, actually, in the uh, look at verse 10 in chapter 20. talks about the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord, and in it you'll do no work, you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your cattle, or the stranger who's within your gates. You know, the Ten Commandments are for the strangers, too. Everybody gets the Sabbath. Look at chapter 22, verse... Um, What do I, I got the wrong one here, 22 verse 21, here's one of the rules that the children of Israel were given.
1: "'You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt.'" Mm,
0: That's nice, isn't it? And this is a refrain that comes up often. We won't read all the passages tonight. But, so it's directly commanded, you know, even though you said, well, strangers can't eat the Passover unless they go through this ritual. But uh, don't harass them. Don't be. Don't oppress them. Don't don't vex them. You were strangers in the land of Egypt, and they were. They the Egyptians. They were an abomination to the Egyptians. They, they wouldn't eat with them. Or in, you know what it feels like when someone won't eat with you. Uh, when you're the out group, you were the out group in Egypt. So don't you now be the big in group and harass other people because you know what it's like. You've been strangers. So that's powerful to me. Uh, Let's go to, you know, why don't we just take a little quick dip in Leviticus. It's always bracing. Uh, Turn to the right uh, and let's go to Leviticus chapter 22. Leviticus is a continuation of a lot of rules and laws. And now look at verse 10. So it says, you know, be decent to the strangers and so on. But then you get laws like this. Let's read verses 10 to 13 there.
1: No outsider shall eat the holy offering. One who dwells with the priest or a hired servant shall not eat the holy thing. Mm -hmm. But if the priest buys a person with his money, he may eat it. And one who is born in his house may eat his food. Hmm. If the priest's daughter is married to an outsider, she may not eat of the holy offerings.
0: Oh, wow. So she's sort of contaminated by marrying the outsider, right? Or in the old King James, the stranger. Uh, So if she marries a stranger, then she's treated like a stranger. She can't eat the holy thing either, which is the sacrificial meat and so on. Go on.
1: But if the priest's daughter is a widow or divorced, and has no child, and has returned to her father's house as in her youth, she may eat her father's food, but no outsider shall eat it.
0: Yeah, okay. So there's definitely this distinction of like, well, that's the outsider, you're not allowed to eat certain things. And even if you marry an outsider, you become an outsider, and the same rule applies to you. Good. Nice and bracing. And Leviticus 25... Verse
1: 23 "The land shall not be sold permanently." For, oh. for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me.".
0: <laughs> so all the children, all of you, wouldn't the Lord say the same to us today, "Look, this is my land. You're, you're the stranger, you know you're stranger, you're sojourners, living on my property. I tolerate you, and so on. You know, the Lord feels more warmly to us than tolerance. But, but the, um, but isn't that interesting? So, it's weird that you both get this message of like you're the in-group and those are the strangers and they can't eat certain things. But, oh, guess what? You're the strangers. I'm the one who owns the land. So interesting passage. You can see how you get kind of a mixed signal in here. Let's turn to the right to Numbers chapter fifteen, verse fifteen. But it's a constant refrain in these five books of Moses about the stranger, the sojourner, the people who are not of the land. Oh, look at this. Uh, Look at verse 15 in Numbers 15.
1: One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you, an ordinance forever throughout your generations. Mm. As you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord.
0: Oh, yeah. And it goes on to talk about one law, one manner shall be for you and for the stranger. So, huh, I thought we just heard some rules that were different for the strangers, but here it's saying, no, it's all the same. There's no difference. There's, no, it's, there's nothing to the idea of being born into this tribe or something. Uh, there's no difference b- between inside and out in that way. Uh, oh, actually, I want to back up for a second to Numbers chapter one. Let's look at one. Uh, verse 51. So that's wonderful. The stranger and, and the uh, people who've grown up with it are the same. Then you read things like this.
1: And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. Uh-huh. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death.
0: Oh, so it's not totally warm and fuzzy. Uh, You know, if you do certain things, you'll be put to death. How about chapter 3, verse 10?
1: So you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to their priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death.
0: Oh, okay. and verse 38.
1: Moreover, those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons, keeping charge of the sanctuary, to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who came near was to be put to death.
0: Okay, good. And then in Numbers chapter 16, verse 40, talking about a memorial.
1: To be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider, who is not a descendant of Aaron, should come near to the off to offer incense before the Lord, that Hmm. he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses.
0: Yeah, so generally there was one law for everybody, but there were certain things related to the priesthood where the outsiders, the strangers, were not not welcome, doesn't it seem that way? Uh, Turn to the right to Deuteronomy, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. So what should your attitude be? We've already read several passages about this, but I like this um, uh, verse, oh, let's read from 17. Look at this, it's is interesting, isn't it? Look at verse 16 hmm. in Deuteronomy 10. Should we start there? Yeah.
1: Therefore circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Ah, huh,
0: so you had to go through circumcision to be able to eat the Passover. But here it says that the circumcision is of the, f- of the heart. And what does it go on to say right there about circumcision of the heart?
1: For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, mm. the great God, mighty and awesome, who knows no partiality nor takes a bribe.
0: Uh-huh. He knows no partiality. Okay. Tell me about that.
1: He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger. He what's
0: the stranger?
1: Loves the stranger. God
0: loves... Great? Strangers? But they're weird. They're unlovable. He loves them?
1: And gives him food and clothing.
0: And then what should we do as a result? We should abominate them.
1: Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt.
0: Wow. Now that's really strong. Isn't that interesting? So anything that's talking about, well, the stranger can't do this, the stranger can't do that, it's not about ostracize them or it's not about despise them or view them as a lower order of being than yourself or trample them or exploit them or whatever it says love them it says god loves them you should love them because you were strangers yourself once upon a time Mm, that's powerful i don't think we have time to go into it but in ezra and nehemiah There are long stretches about all this anxiety that so many people in the children of Israel have married these, quote-unquote, strange wives. You know, they've married outside the tribe, and this is a big deal, and they have to cleanse it and break that off and and everything. So, you know, there's sort of messages on both sides uh, that seem to come in about this. Uh, Let's go into the Psalms right in the middle of your book. Let's go to Psalm 39. Oh, let's look at verse 12.
1: Hmm. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, Hmm. a sojourner, as well as, as all my fathers were.
0: And up at the top in the heading of the psalm, who was this written by? Who's the stranger?
1: A psalm of David.
0: Oh, David. Yes, David. David says to the Lord, I'm a stranger with you. I'm a sojourner as all my fathers were. That's interesting. That seems very humble, doesn't it, to be able to see how you are a stranger. And some of the scriptures we've looked at are that way. Look at Psalm 145, which just seems to apply here so well. It's such a beautiful, well-known statement. Psalm 145, verse 9.
1: The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works.
0: Now, actually, this is this is somewhat mistranslated. It's, it's actually, what it actually means is the Lord is good to very few, and His tender mercies are over almost none of His works. <laughs> no, look at what that says. The Lord is good to all. He's good to all. He doesn't have some out group. He doesn't have some, well, these are the good people, and then... The rest of them can talk to the hand kind of thing. Uh, The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. That's very striking. Oh, look at 146, verse 9. 145, verse 9, 146, verse 9.
1: The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down.
0: So what that means to me is that the Lord knows the stranger. Like the Lord, to the Lord, no one is a stranger. He knows the stranger. He, he knows everyone. There is no stranger group to him. Oh, uh, shall we pop into the New Testament for a bit? Okay, let's go to Matthew, shall we? There's so many wonderful things here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Just picking a few passages on this theme. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, verse 15.
1: But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all.
0: Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. He did a lot of his healing up in Capernaum, and Capernaum was not a predominantly Jewish area; it had Greek-speaking people, Syro-Phoenicians, it had Romans. It was a major sort of trade thoroughfare. When he was healing everybody, he had to touch them to do it, and so he was repeatedly either making himself ceremonially unclean or acting that they were his family, you know. They're all part of the family. They're not strangers to the Lord. So he heals them all. He lays his hands on all of them. That's powerful. Uh, Look at Matthew 25. You know this story very well. Uh, Look at verse 35 in there. This is the sheep and the goats. And what does the Lord say?
1: For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in.
0: Took me in. Not exploit, not oppress, take in. That's what you're supposed to do with the strangers, is take them in. And uh, down there in verse 43, you see what the opposite group did.
1: I was a stranger and you did not take me in, hmm. naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me.
0: Yes. So the difference there between people who are saved and people who are condemned are the people who were good to the strangers were saved, you know, that's the way the Lord wants it to happen. Um, it really runs counter to this human tendency of kind of wanting to have a boundary around ourselves. And I'm not saying that all of that is bad. I want to talk about an analogy to that in a little bit. Um, uh, Okay, let's go back to Matthew 18. I think we've got time. If you turn to the left and go back to Matthew 18, look at verses 15 to 17. This gives you a somewhat different picture.
1: Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Uh-huh. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church.
0: Aha, uh-huh, tell it to the church. So in other words, this is all somebody who's of the same religion as you are, your brother. you know. Tell it to the church. And what then?
1: But if he refuses even to hear the church... Let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector."
0: Oh, well that sounds a little bit like there's going to be an out group, like he'll be like a heathen or a tax collector that that you treat uh, differently. Now this is interesting because it's someone who is, who presumably was born in the same faith tradition you're born in, but if there's not that response, then treat them. So it's not that the Lord is saying, oh no, that whole thing about your birth or your nationality or your ethnic group or something, that's terribly important. I don't hear that in the, in the New Testament. I hear that if you are of the same tribe you can be considered as not if you're not responding in a certain way. But think about the tax collectors for a second. Let's turn to the right, go through Mark to Luke chapter 5, and let's see how the Lord treats those tax collectors, shall we? Look at chapter 5 verse 27 starting at 27 down to 32.
1: After these things he went out and saw a tax collector <laughs> named <laughs> now Levi. he's
0: going to get it.
1: <laughs> Sitting in at the tax office and he said to him, "Follow me."
0: No, wait a minute. "Follow me." Okay. So what did you do?
1: So he left all, rose up and followed him. Oh. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. Isn't it the
0: way that one tax collector knows all the other tax collectors in town? And they're all gathered together in one house. And that's where the Lord goes. And what does He do?
1: He sits down
0: with them. He sits down with them. Go on.
1: And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against His disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Mm. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Mm. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
0: Sinners to repentance. That's amazing. So you have to go through something like repentance to be able to take the Passover. Revelation says... Repent and knock on the door, and the Lord will open it, and then you get to dine with the Lord. Here they are dining with the Lord, and a whole. (laughs) There's something that tickles me about the idea of a whole house full of tax collectors, and um, and you know they say come over to dinner, and it says great. And what does he say to Levi? Does he say, "Get lost! I don't deal with your kind." He says, "Follow me." And he says, well, I'd like to have a dinner with you and my tax collector friends. And Jesus says, I'm in. And, and he's there. He goes and has a nice dinner with him. Um, now, it is possible. Let's look at Luke 13. It is possible to... The Lord says one statement that sounds like it's possible to be a stranger to the Lord. Uh, look at 1327. Then many people will say... You know, we've eaten and drunk in your presence, you taught in our streets, verse 27.
1: But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity.
0: Now that's more like a sort of stranger response. This is in kind of a parable. Uh, It's about the master of the house and so on. And people saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he says, depart from me, I don't know you, you workers of iniquity. Uh, that um, I don't know where you're from that sounds a little more like like the stranger thing but again it's it's their workers of iniquity and uh, Swedenborg explains that often when there's things like this that are said of the Lord what they really mean is that those people don't know the Lord that's what it is. the Lord says I don't know you he, we already read he knows everybody um, it, it's that they don't know him because they're not living in the way that they should. Uh, Okay, let's turn to the right. and Oh, uh, okay. Let's look at Luke 16. Is the plot getting thicker for you? Uh, Abraham and Lazarus. Lazarus dies. There's a rich man clothed in purple and everything, and they both die. And the poor man goes to the bosom of Abraham, and the rich man goes down into hell. And look at verse 26.
1: And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, Mm. so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us.
0: Yes, so there is this idea that in the spiritual world there's this great gulf and you don't, people don't just sort of freely mix. There is something about a division and some people here and some people there and you don't they they don't uh, meet or mingle and interact and so on Um, that's in the spiritual world and the rich man was very cold and not compassionate Uh, you know that was part of his nature in this story but that's still you know something to take into account in the terms of these um, the stranger and what this all means Uh, let's Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, so go through Acts and Romans, you get to 1 Corinthians, look at chapter 5, verse 9, what does Paul say to these people who've been, some of whom have been acting out?
1: I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people.
0: Oh, not to keep company with them.
1: Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous, or with, or extortioners, or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world.
0: Yes, right. You'd have to live on another planet. Yes. Go on.
1: But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person.
0: Oh, weird. So again, this confusing message because it sounds like Paul is reinstating some of the old rules, but it's based on the way that people are behaving and living. Even if they're called a brother, you know, it's possible Jesus showed in those words, even people who say, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. And he said, actually, you were a worker of iniquity. Uh, So we're separate from each other. And this is similar here where he's saying that people who do all these things, idolaters and sexually immoral and drunkards and so on, uh, don't eat with them if they're called brothers. And yet he had told them before, if you tried to avoid these people, you know, you would have to go live on another planet. So gosh, I'm hoping the Lord will bring all this together at the end. Uh, Let's turn to the right and go through uh, 2 Corinthians and get to Galatians. Paul's epistle to the Galatians, I want to go to chapter 6. And look at this, Hmm, verses 9 and 10, what does Paul teach the Galatians?
1: And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Mm. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. To who? All.
0: But wait a minute. I thought the Lord was only good to a few. Oh, no. It did say the Lord is good to all. Oh, and so we too are supposed to be good to all. Let us do good. Do good to all.
1: Especially to those who are of the household of faith.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. So do what is good to all. But crank it up a little bit for those who are part of the fossil. So you still have a little bit of a sense of, a, of an us and them, but you're supposed to be good to all. Uh, there's not going to be some stranger group that you're not supposed to be good to. Hard to know exactly how to fit all these teachings together. And uh, one of the last things I want to read here. Okay, can you go till you hit things that start with a T? You get First and Second Thessalonians. I want to go to First Timothy that comes right after that. Chapter 2. Mm. Look at those first four verses there of, of First Timothy Chapter 2. More teaching from Paul.
1: Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Oh for kings. Wow, you're
0: supposed to pray for everybody? Even those people? Even those people that we came up with a one-syllable term of abuse for? Yeah, we're supposed to pray for everybody. Go on.
1: For kings and all who are in authority. Now,
0: that's really a hard assignment. Those who are in authority, we're supposed to pray for those who do that. Okay.
1: That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Mm. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved. Oh, he does? Oh, I thought this was a little club thing. Am I wrong?
0: I I thought this was just a little club thing, where we all get together in a little club and then we can be saved. But really, he, he wants everybody in the club? Everybody? Go on.
1: Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants everybody to have the truth? I thought that was
0: like, that's our thing. Isn't that our thing, like the truth thing? Who wants everybody to be saved and everybody to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wow. And so we're to pray for everyone because that's aligning us with the Lord's desire for everybody to be saved and everybody to come to knowledge of the truth. Wow. This, this, this fits in an interesting way. This isn't how I got to this topic this week, but... Um, It fits with what we were talking about last week, if you happen to catch that, about filling the earth. Uh, The Lord wants to come down, you know, the Lord wants everybody, you know, He wants everybody. He's not selective. He he wants to be with, with everybody. Okay. Hmm. All right. Okay. So if you saw a sign that said, no strangers, you would... Wouldn't you naturally sort of think that that meant you are not welcome? You know, if you're not one of us, you're not welcome here. We don't want strangers. No stranger. We're just, it's going to be pure. It's going to be the in-group or something like that. Uh, But from the Lord's standpoint, as we read in some of those scriptures, it hinted at least in there, to the Lord... There are, this means there are no strangers. There are no no strangers to the Lord. There may be people who don't know the Lord, but the Lord knows everyone's heart. He knows everyone. So that may be able to help us. Uh, When we look at the human body, it's interesting to think about. If you read enough Swedenborg, you bump into this idea after a while that the whole of heaven is in the human form. It's interesting because it might be easy to look at the human form as something that's kind of badly designed and, or, or, or half evolved or something. Um, but uh, Swedenborg puts a very high price on it that it's, uh, it's the form of heaven. The way that the organs interact in the human body is something about the form of heaven. Now when I look at the human body, and I don't have a fantastic knowledge of it or anything, but aren't there sort of membranes around all these organs? Isn't there kind of a sac that the lungs sit in? Isn't there kind of the pericardium or something around the heart? Isn't there, aren't there various different things, the membranes, that hold the different organs and so on? So you can kind of tell where one thing begins and ends. Oh, that's the bladder. That's the intestine. This is, you know, this, is this, that's that. So having those kind of boundaries, what that suggests is that it's not a bad thing to have a membrane, it's not a bad thing to have an edge, or to know, oh, this is this group is in here; these people are the liver, you know, that's the pancreas over there, kind of thing. And yet, the purpose of all those organs is to bless the others. Every organ in there is charged with loving the stranger, uh, with putting something good out into the wider body. Uh, if anything is there just for itself, then it's kind of a cancer or, or something that your body doesn't want to have in it. Um, because the, the human form ideally is in this condition where all those organs are of use and blessing each other. And they, they do need their own little kind of microclimate in there. Some of them are acidic and some of them are alkaline and some of them produce this fluid or that or whatever. And you need to... They need to be kind of contained. Uh, it's not just, uh, you know, if you peel back the human body, it's not just a, a sack with random cells in it or something, you know, like a, a pile of random stuff. It's all organized in there. And there are boundaries. And yet, if I understand anatomy, and I don't, I believe that the membranes ha- are charged with communication. I think the membranes see the membranes will wrap around this, but they'll also wrap around that. So they talk. They both keep them separate, but they also talk between the different organs and and carry messages. And there's connective tissue, isn't there? Things that hold the body together and so on. Uh, So these membranes are not just a sort of keep out, you know, no strangers kind of sign. Uh, There's a recognition that all of it. Uh, it belongs to the Lord and it's all, all something good and everybody has something to contribute. Uh, I think one thing that's essential, our lower selves are just of the nature, by birth, are we not of this nature that, that generally there's a tendency in the human race to feel more comfortable with people who are like us, even though we may fight like cats and dogs with them, but still they're our favorite people to fight with and um, and don't we feel uncomfortable around people who are different, who are like a radically different size or height than we are or different race or even horror of horrors, a different gender than we are. Um, uh, you, you might be uncomfortable around uh, people like that. I was in a situation today where I was hearing a, a workman outside my window. I've heard this guy for a couple of days now. He's got some hilarious imitation of a female voice. I, I don't know what he's saying. I can't hear the words. But he's got this hilarious routine he's doing for the other workers uh, that seems like it might have some element of mockery in it. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but isn't that the way people are? <laughs> you know, well, they're different, so we make fun of them, and, and so on. Uh, the, from our lower selves we feel threatened by these differences, and so on. What is so important, I think, is what the Psalms said and what the Lord said there to, to start to come to terms with the fact that we are, we, we are the stranger. If David, David, who is constantly in Scripture likened to the Lord and everything, uh, if he is saying to the Lord, I'm a stranger, you know, I'm a stranger. If we can get to that point of realizing that we're a stranger, we've been a stranger to the Lord. We haven't been as friendly with Him as we should have been. If we get to the point of realizing, oh, guess what? I'm the weirdo (laughs) around here. You know, we're equally as weird as anybody else on the planet. Um, Some idea that there are those weird people over there or something is not looking at it from a higher perspective. If we can realize that we are the stranger and that everybody is the stranger, but also to realize that the Lord loves all the strangers, isn't that powerful? that even in what is sometimes kind of a cloistered feeling world of the Old Testament, there are these beautiful rules about the stranger, that the stranger is to be treated with the same law, that if the stranger wants to be part of the game, sure, just go through this, and then you're part of the game. You can eat the Passover with us. You're exactly the same as anybody else. Uh, There's no difference between between you and, and anybody else. The fact that it has that open architecture, that says to me something about heaven, because that's what the children of Israel mean. Uh, Think of that culture of the heavens. Do the heavens have, you know, yes, the heavens and the hells are separate. And to the heavens, the the hells are, are somebody different. To the Lord, there are no strangers. He loves everybody in hell. The Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. It's impossible for Him to even frown. Uh, Despite some appearance in Scripture, He's not angry with people. He's not condemning. Uh, He is pure love and mercy to absolutely everybody. The Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all His works. So if we see someone who kind of triggers our stranger anxiety, maybe it could be helpful to us to just think, well, that's a stranger to me. But they're not a stranger to the Lord. The, the Lord knows no strangers. There are no strangers. The Lord, the Lord knows exactly who that is. Uh, there's some use to having membranes around things, but the idea is to be a blessing, to be able to be more of a blessing because you can create this culture and then put your good thing out there that will bless others and others will be thankful for it. Uh, that's the approach that the Lord takes. That's the approach that the Lord takes. We didn't read some Psalms, but there are a number of Psalms that talk about people seeing the Lord as a stranger and and hating the Lord and and this kind of thing, and things that suggest that when the Lord was in this world, he felt like a stranger, even to his own siblings, to his own family and so on. Sometimes when we're on a spiritual journey, we can feel that way that we've kind of left. uh, Abram was called out of his land and wasn't uh, Gershom the son of Moses was named because I've been a stranger in a strange land. There was something important about Moses doing that sojourning, spending that time. Uh, We are all, in a sense, strangers to the Lord. We're all strangers in heaven, but uh, it's the Lord's land and he's happy to have us there. He just wants us to treat each other with some basic kind of decency. How does that sound? Sound all right. All right, let's uh, will you join me in a closing prayer, good friends? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we ask for your help in making us aware of those visceral feelings that we have sometimes of foreignness or or distance or that stranger anxiety. We pray also, Lord, that you open up in us your love for the stranger. You love the strangers, and you command us outright in Deuteronomy to love the stranger. Help us to cultivate that love from you. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen let's keep on repenting friends so that we can be part of the passover and not be strangers anymore thank you Bye, friends.